As you know, we started last week with uh, Alexander around the world, our flesh and the devil. It's got a ring to it, doesn't it? And uh, what I want to do straight up front is, uh, why don't you join with us in reading? Because it can always be great to come in on a Sunday, but why don't you read with us? So go read the screw tape letters. What is that? C.S. Lewis. He's talking it's about a young demon that's been trained up by an older demon and how he is going to derail a human being. It's a, it's a quick read. It's an amazing read, but it gives you insight into a spiritual dimension. Cornelius Plantinga Jr., the Bavaria of sin. If you want to have a definition of what sin is and how it's impacted our world, what an amazing thesis on sin. Truth About Lies and the Lies About Truth, David Tackle, an, an amazing book just kind of unveiling how we as human beings believe lies and get mixed up between what the truth is. And then one of my personal favorites, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. If you haven't read that book, that's in my top three books that I've ever read. And uh, it really just speaks about how we can uh, focus on our spiritual formation into what God has called us into. So go grab those. They're all on Kindle, so there's no excuse. You can even download them while I'm speaking when you get tired of my voice. Credit goes to the series to John, John Marcoma, or John Marcoma. He leads a church called Bridgetown in, in Portland, and I've got a lot of the the information and the foundation from which I'm speaking from, from him. And I want to make sure that he gets the accolades and that church gets the accolades. So my first question is, is who wants to live a happy, fulfilled, or a kind of what we'd call a good life? Okay, those who didn't put up their hands, you're liars. Because <clears throat> every single one of us want that. Every single one of us, there's part of us that wants to live this amazing, in fact, we designed for it. In the Garden of Eden, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, God saw all that he was made and it was brilliant. It was good. It was very good. And then it says in verse uh, 8 of chapter 2, it says, Now the Lord planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And verse 25 says, Adam and Eve, or Adam and his wife, were there and they were naked and unashamed. Guys, imagine our wives being naked and unashamed before us. Don't think about too much right now, because you've got to listen to the rest of what I've got to say. But then the devil entered it. As the Hebrew says, Hasatan enters the fray. And it says in chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent, and we'll talk about this next week in, in more detail. It really wasn't a snake, but we'll, I'm, I'm just throwing a little thing out there in a moment, for a moment. The serpent, who was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruits from the trees in the garden, but God did say that we must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and we must not touch it or we will die. You will certainly not die, said the serpent to the woman. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit was good and the food was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate. She also gave some to her daft husband who was, sorry, her husband who was sitting there with her and he ate too. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. Shame enters the world. So they sowed fig trees or fig leaves, together and made coverings for themselves. So we, we were recently on holiday, 
It was amazing. We went down to, our first stop was a couple of days at Castleburn in the, in the Drakensberg. And we've just started to get into fly fishing. I've never caught a fish in my life or landed a fish. I've, I've had long line releases, but I've never caught a fish. And I spent probably 10 hours over those few days fishing. And I'm clearly not that way inclined, but there's something therapeutic about fly fishing because it's actually, it's not, it's not about actually catching the fish. It's about the, the whole process. And uh, of course, my kids just catch like this. Jenna throws it in. Literally, she's talking to me. She catches one. I'm like, really, Lord? But it's one of those things. In fact, I actually caught one and I said to Dylan, go get the phone. I want to take a picture of my first fish. And as I was pulling it in, it got away. But we arrived there just kind of tired from the, just the start of the year. And, and I'm really, it's paradise. And that, that beautiful thing when you've got the cold air and, and you know, the mist in the mornings and, and sitting there just, and just, I'm really just enjoying the presence of God and, and enjoying what I'm doing. And it was a beautiful couple of days, just kind of being able to have the space to breathe and whatever the case was. And then we finished up there and just feeling like there was, a, I, I'd just been in paradise. And then we go through to Belito and I'd booked through my mom and dad's timeshare, this place called La Martin, which is a, a hotel. And all of that paradise came crashing down in minutes. The night before was that massive storm, and uh, they had no clue about our booking and the vouchers that we had for food and all kinds of stuff that I'd booked. And I got really frustrated because this paradise that I was in now was starting to come crashing down, and all the, the stresses and strains of the last kind of couple of months was, was now coming up. And then, and then kind of to top it off, we walk into our room, and I walk past our bedroom wall, and I feel this heat coming off the wall. And they've got the generator, which is actually below our room, which is yeah, cooking our room, basically. The, the guy came in with a, I've never seen this before, it's kind of like a laser pointer thermometer, and it went from like 30 to almost 50 in seconds. So you can imagine, it was like, it was literally a heater because the exhaust or the whatever you want to call it, the uh, chimney of this generator was on our wall, was part of the chimney. And they basically said, sorry, we can't do anything about it, we're full, it's Easter weekend, sorry for you. So you can imagine at night, we were like sleeping in a sauna. So this paradise that I believed and, and wanted and really felt like God had given to us had now come crashing down. And it just reminds me that, you know, when we were doing the Jesus series, which Alexander um, put all the content together, is we're at war. And, and the war is not just out there with Ahasatan and the demonic forces, but there's a war in us and there's a war in our soul. Because what happened was I became instantly grumpy and started to play that out in my family who we were on holiday with and started to raise my voice to my kids and really wasn't enjoying life and the lack of paradise that we were now in. And there's this tug of war of this good and evil inside of my own spirit and my own soul as much as there is that outside there. And you know, Western thought kind of brings this thing into, well, the reason for why I'm feeling like this, the reason for why we've got this war that's going on is really because, oh, it's a lack of education. If we educate everybody, we won't have evil in this world. Or maybe it's a socio-political thing. Maybe if we get that adoption thing right, then we won't have that problem. Or maybe it's economic. If we've got money, if you've got money, you'll sort this thing out. But actually, very few of them explain why humanity is the way it is and the problem that exists or even give a solution to it or one that actually is viable and that will work. And so what we do have is the world, your flesh, and the devil. And these are the three enemies of the soul. And we're going to look at the devil this morning. And we're going to unmask his strategy. And we're going to look at how we can fight the good fight. So turn with me, please, to John chapter 8. I'm, not going to put, I'm only going to put the last few verses up in a moment. But I want you to read with me. You just bring your Bibles. Even if it's 
on uh, your iPad or your phone or whatever the case might be. So verse 31 of chapter 8, John says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Just let that sink in. So the world today is going, yeah, Jesus didn't really mean that. Or Jesus, oh yeah, but no, we're not, we'll take those three, but that one, no. And the world is changing what Jesus said, which actually then does not make us his disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have, been, have never been slaves to anyone. I mean, what a lie. Did they read their Bible? Did they know what happened with Moses and Egypt? Did they know what happened with Babylon and et cetera, et cetera? Like, honestly, guys, that's not true. So how can you say that we're not free? So Jesus replies, well, truly I say to you, anyone, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Let that sink in. Who is the son? I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Isn't it interesting? When people start to operate outside of Jesus' word, they look to kill one another. And we do it with our mouths, with our actions, with our slander and our gossip. I'm telling you, what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from my Father. Abraham is our Father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And we're going to find out who their own father is in a moment. We are not illegitimate children. And if you remember Alexander telling us that word is the mamzer. He's basically saying, we are not bastard children like you. Remember, Jesus was born out of wedlock. The only father we have is God himself. And then let's catch up behind me. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come here on my own, but God has sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say, you belong to your father, the devil. Kind of one of the top things you don't want to hear from Jesus speaking to you. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Okay, Just let that settle in. There is no truth. Not, not even a little bit. There, there is, he is unsalvageable. He, there is no redemption available for him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So here's the devil. Diablos in the Greek, where we get the word diabolical from. He's the slanderer. He's the accuser. Hasatan, if you look, read in the, in the Hebrew, they actually put the Satan. It's actually the accuser, the adv adversary. Notice that all of the words describing Satan are not nouns. They're all verbs. God doesn't even give this creature a name just describes who he is. He's the evil one. He's the tempter. He's the deceiver. He is the archon in, 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 uh, in Greek, the one who is the ruler. And that word archon is actually in the context of a military governmental power. He is the one who is above, 
who stands there and calls on the ruler of this world and puts the world system into play. So he's the destroyer. And these titles just describe who he is in all, its, in all of, of who he is. And so he is one of the most influential spiritual creatures around that influence our world. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. So let's have a look at what Jesus is trying to tell us through this text. Number one, he's saying that this creature is not a myth. He's real. And the problem with our world today is we read Genesis chapter 3 and we go, a talking snake, oh for goodness, these Christians, I've lost it. And we need to discern and understand that there's a difference between literacy or the way literature is used to describe something in imagery versus actually what it's saying below that. Theology is different from a literal understanding or literacy in trying to describe something. And we'll get into that next week. I'm not going to get into that right now. But he's not that red cartoon character. He's not that little kind of red horn pitchfork character that we kind of think of about him and sits on our shoulder or some kind of snake that, that talks to us. But he's, to Jesus, he is this invisible intelligence of which all evil or behind all evil, this evil exists and causes that evil to occur. What's interesting is Jesus is talking to religious leaders here, not political leaders. And he's speaking to them and he's saying, the evil behind the way you are running and doing the stuff that you're doing is actually Satan himself. And you have bowed to his deceptive ideas. And he links that back to Genesis 3, which we'll do next week, around the seed of the woman versus the seed of the snake. Many don't believe in the devil. In fact, many don't even believe in evil. And they, they believe it's kind of rather primitive, like I've said. I mean, honestly, a talking snake. But actually, we think that those people back then were not intelligent. We think uh, they were quite primitive. And so, yeah, they would have believed of a talking snake, and they would have kind of caricaturized Satan or whatever the case is. But C.S. Lewis says, we live in an age where we have chronological snobbery. And they actually, through their research, they have proved that men and women two, three, four, five, six thousand years ago were no less intelligent than we are today. We've just got more knowledge. But our intelligence and wisdom is exactly the same. And we've got to watch that we go, oh, they were just, they didn't really know much. No, where are we with our knowledge? I'll leave it there. The point is, is I think Jesus knows better. So when, you, when you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, Gary, I, don't, I haven't really believed this and I've got a problem with the snake and all kinds of stuff. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. But the point that I'm trying to make is that Jesus knows better than us and he talks about this creature, this intelligent creature who is coming against us. Two, number two, his end goal is to destroy you and me. I've got it elsewhere in my notes, but I'm going to talk about it now. When Hansi Crenier got caught doing what he was doing in terms of match fixing, and he was quoted as saying, the devil made me do it. And we all went, oh, really, Hansi? That's not helpful. But there's truth to it, and we're going to get into it. But we are in a war, and when you give yourself to Jesus, when you come and your salvation happens, what you do is you enter into that war against the devil. And there's the testimony within our own souls. We know that there's a war in, there's a tug of war daily that we feel. Well, maybe you don't, but I do, in my soul around that. I mean, how last night I see Jared Davidoff, who's an evangelist in our area, post that um, Netflix are saying to the state of Georgia, if you've been reading the news, the state of Georgia have said, you know what, state of New York, we are, uh, we are, we are coming against and we are saying that there will be no abortions in the state of, of, of Georgia. 
So all the Hollywood stars who live there said, well, we're going to leave if you don't. So Georgia went, fine, go. Go back to California. Now what's happening, Netflix are saying, if you guys um, come against this thing of uh, legal abortions and do not, have, do not allow women to have abortion in the state of Georgia, we are going to boycott the state of Georgia. Israel Folau, if you're a sports fanatic, probably one of the best rugby players in the world today. He's not allowed to play rugby for Australia or for any Australian team because he posted a scripture saying that homosexuals, gluttons, uh, etc., etc., will not inherit the kingdom of God. But there are rugby players who have kicked their pregnant wives in the stomach in a, a drunken stupor, who have pushed their fiancés downstairs, who have gone onto the field and have damaged somebody so badly, purposefully, that they haven't been able to play rugby for months, and they're still playing rugby. What is happening in our world today? There's a war. The devil's means is he's going to lie to you. He actually says that Satan is the origin of all deception and lies. He is the father of lies. In fact, when he speaks, he speaks his na native, I almost said naked language, native language. It's like that joke, you know, how do you know that a politician is lying? Well, his lips are moving. <laughs> See, when most people speak about spiritual warfare, we think of exorcism, don't we? We think of things like, well, there's disease and there's all kinds of like tsunamis and, and demons manifesting and whatever else. But the truth is when Jesus speaks about evil, he actually addresses the devil and he speaks about not demon manifestations, even though those things do happen or disease or disaster, but actually the whole debate is with leaders about truth and lies. All that other stuff is actually secondary. Those are the results or the symptoms of the truth and the lies that we believe. And so the fight against the devil is whether we believe the truth that Jesus brings or whether we believe the lies and the deception that he brings. So I'm going to enter into a bit of a philosophical kind of uh, moment here, so bear with me. I'm not the greatest philosopher, and some of you may have better philosophy ideas than whatever the case is. But let me ask you this question. What is truth? What well, truth is what corresponds with reality. Okay, what is reality? Reality is what we crash into <laughs> when we're wrong. <laughs> Hence my gravity. If I think, I believe I can fly, what's going to happen? I'm going to be caught fate on the tarmac. Why? Because I can't fly. So we had a, let me give you an example. Ella's not here to defend herself, but when she was a lot younger, she takes out a permanent marker and she writes on our bedroom floor, on our carpet. So Louise comes in and obviously we don't know at that time who it is. So we call the kids together and we say, okay, you know, who, who's doing this? You know, who, who did this? And uh, no, not me. wasn't me. Okay, well, then Ella, who did it? No, Jordan did it. But Jordan was on school camp, so that kind of didn't work out. And she finally, after a couple of moments, got to a point where, no, the cat did it. <laughs> the poor cat got ousted and hasn't been back since. But we do that all the time, and we laugh at that. But what do we do when we're caught out? Do we, do we crash into the things that we 
have believed that are lies when reality hits. See, what psychologists do is we have these things called mental maps, the way in which we learn how life works. And really what those mental maps are is I see the good life. I see the fulfilled life. Jesus says, I'm the way, truth, and life. There's a correspondence between truth and the life. If we're not living in truth, we actually can't live in the abundant life that God has for us. And so how do we live out our lives is we, we come up against different things and we start to believe truths and lies. And so what happens is, is uh, sociologists call it a worldview. How do you believe the world works? Because you, we're all wanting the good life. We're all wanting what Eden was created for. Or maybe you're a postmodernist and you believe in the meta-narrative is what they were called. Or as Christians, we call it faith. But there's a whole bunch of different things in which you have mental maps, whether it's your sexuality, time, career, marriage, power, money, all of those things, you have a mental map on how things work out. So when I get up in the morning and I get the kids ready and I take them to school, I have a map in my head of how I take the back roads and miss all the traffic. I take the kids to the young kids to King School, Bryanston, and then I go through the back roads of Bryanston, down over through the, the, the valley, over the river, down up, through, up to Red Hill School. I drop the kids and then I go and I land up in work. If I don't follow that particular map, well, let me start this. Because I'm following that map, I have a mental map which then tunes into reality and I get to work on time and I drop the kids off on time. But if I believe a lie about how to get there and I'm not using the map that is given to me, where am I going to land up? Probably land up in Pretoria and I can't find it. It's like having a map of Cape Town and trying to get around Durban. And go, why, why am I not doing this? Because I'm crashing into the reality of that I do not know I believed a lie about what that map is telling me, but the reality is that that map's different. But we all believe this. So here's the thing, is our mental maps are made up of ideas. This is where the enemy's going to get in. They're assumptions about reality. It's how we've lived up, how we've lived up, how we've lived out our lives, how our parents have brought us up, and we start to walk out what we believe those realities are because we've got these ideas of how to get that fulfilled life, that good life that's out there, that almost that elusive holy grail. Because I guarantee you if I sat here this morning and spoke to each one of you, you'd go, your life's a bit rough right now. Our country's on the brink of a whole bunch of things. And I'm hoping beyond hope and finances are tight and uh, all of this kind of stuff. But the good life just seems to be out of reach. And the point is, is that as we keep going on this, is that these mental maps tell us about what that route is to happiness that we think it should be, whether we believe them to be lies or not. Because happiness is an idea, just like democracy is an idea, just like we say E equals MC squared is an idea. And do they correspond to reality? Because if we keep going, we imagine this future. So if you think about reality, which is a truth, as opposed to unreality of truth, the beautiful thing about humanity and the reason why we're top of the food chain is that we're able to take something that isn't real yet and make it real. Think about it for a moment. How does a book come into play? Alexander, in his doing spirituality, has an idea, starts to imagine what that looks like, starts to write out those things and produces reality. But the thing that is the beauty of humanity is also our Achilles heel. Because what we can do is we can take what is beautiful or what, what's supposed to be and believe a lie about it. So Louise often and Kerry through their freedom sessions, through 
leading church and counseling, people hate themselves and are full of shame. They're no longer in this place of naked and unashamed before God and one another. They believe that they are disgusting, that they are this. So if you start to believe that, and you have those ideas of who you are, and you start to forge those mental maps, and you start to imagine your future, what you do is you start to act out the lie that you believe, and you make it a reality. And you start to live in that reality, and of course then people start to push away from you, because you're just unpleasant to be around. Because you're living out what you believe you are. And that's Satan's strategy to get us into a place where he totally undermines what God has called us to because it's not true. And that's why we have the one, the son, whoever the son sets free is free indeed, is he makes a way for us to come back into the truth and to understand that. Because as human beings, we have the ability to take and imagine. That's how our relationship, we haven't seen God. So there's an imagination within us, which is not a bad, evil thing, that allows us to engage God and make something that doesn't seem a reality right now, a reality in our relationship with him. But is it based on the truth of God or is it based on our truth of what we believe it to be like Eve did in the Garden of Eden? Dallas Woodhouse says we live at the mercy of our ideas. What are the mental maps that you've got around your relationship with God, around how humanity works? Because ultimately what happens is, is when you have an unreality in your mind, and in your heart, and you start to engage it, and you start to look at how that imagination forges it. As a community and as a, as a country, we start to forge what that looks like, and we start to act it out, and we start, our bodies start to move in a direction, and we start to make those things a reality. Whether it's writing a book, whether it's uh, Justin Jeffries uh, doing Half Iron Man this morning. He didn't just go, oh, I'm, uh, no, he imagined doing it, and he trained for it, and he's made it happen. And there's so many different things. Do you think Dale just kind of picked up a guitar and started singing one day and kind of playing it? No, hard practice. So we have this ability to do that, but what are we believing? What are the fundamental things that we are believing about what God is saying? Because what we do is when we start to believe whatever those things are, truth or lies, we start to become them and we start to behave like them. And the problem is, is if we believe lies, they actually become poison to us. And we start to die. Our soul starts to fall in on itself. But when we believe the truth and we start to live it out, there's an abundant life that comes out at the other side. You see, that, what did the devil come to Eve with? He didn't come and say, you better, or I'm going to, the fear, accusations. Now, what did he do? He came to her with an idea. Did, did God really say that? Oh, you won't die? Come on. In fact, you'll, this will be good for you. And you can imagine that moment when they took of the and, and then realized, oh my word, we've, we've messed up. How, how many of us have felt that? This deceptive idea that comes into our hearts, into our minds, and then we grab a hold of it and we start to walk it out and then you go, oh my word. Shame starts to fill our bodies and we start to interact with one another. So there's a psychologist, his name is M. Scott Pack. And as you can see up behind me, he did the study and his basic thesis was that people... When they believe lies, these ideas that don't correspond to reality, what happens is that their big bodies begin to live this out as if it was life and if it was true, and that unreality becomes that. So they've even done studies about what I've just said, that through a socio um, uh, process of how I live out my life, I actually can become that lie. There's other lies. What about secularism? 
What about our understanding that if you believe that we are here by time and by chance, that, that, that gender and, and whole marriage thing are simply social contracts that, constructs that, that kind of impinge my freedom, then what are you going to believe? You're going to believe that you're an animal and that sex is simply biological. The men are going to start to objectify the women and we're going to land up with uh, human trafficking and actually our souls are going to die and we land up dying inside. Where are we in our world today? So this is the foundational thought. If anything you take away this morning, take away this foundational thought that the devil's go-to strategy is what? It's through deceptive ideas. They play to our unordered or disordered desires that are then normalized in a sinful society. How is it that in Canada, a four-year-old, parents have given it permission, and I say it, permission to have a sex change? How is it the thing I talked about at Mother's Day, that in Sweden they have genderless schools and they won't even, they won't even call somebody male or female, but now it's hen? But that's what society is becoming because we are allowing the sinful acts of humanity to become normalized in our society. The thing is, these ideas are not non-emotional ideas. It's not like, you know, um, it's, I want that happy life. I want that good life. So I want to go out there. So when these things start to come, they play because I think that if I do those things, I'm going to feel happy. Whether it's issues of pornography, whether it's issues of um, just I'm just going to go and do sport all day and I'm not going to be part of a community. Uh, Whatever those things are, I think that that is what's going to give me happiness. And that is the deceptive idea. It's like, (laughs) I don't know how many of you, but most of you maybe will go home and on the way home you're going to stop to get something to eat and you're going to a pick and pay, Woolworths, Checkers, whatever. Woolworths are the worst because they've got that gauntlet of temptation. You're like, you've got to get through that thing quickly because if you stop and you look at the chuckles that make your bum big and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and on the other side, there's these amazing magazines of these like 45-year-old guys with six-packs and you know, men's health and whatever the case is and these beautiful women that have all been photoshopped in and whatever the case is. And so you, you, you're kind of caught between this. Well, I want a body like that, but whoa, that is very good. <laughs> And unfortunately, I think we go for the latter more than the former because we, we can't say no to that. And that's kind of a, a description of how this thing works. It's not like you sin and you, like you're late at night and you're going, you know, I'm, I'm going to sin out of duty and self-discipline. And so, so really tonight I'm tired and I'm sitting in front of the TV and uh, something's coming onto the TV and, oh, wait, sure, it's actually in the calendar. I need to lust right now. No, we don't, do we? Sin comes because we believe that by doing that, that's going to bring us into happiness and the good life and the abundant life that God talks of because it's innate in us. But actually, we confuse pleasure with happiness, don't we, in the example that I've given you. So, let's kind of go through some stuff here. The problem is, is when, we, when we address this, is that the enemy is not just after me and you. He's after creating a system in the world that plays to our disordered desires. Journalism, education. Rob shared with me the other day this thing of they're actually wanting to bring as part of their curriculum into the education is um, a section on teaching kids how to masturbate properly. Grade four. 
in our country. Normalized, isn't it? And we'll go, oh, what? But oh, what are we doing about it? Are we standing back or with this adoption thing going, oh, someone else will do it? Oh, my, my, my little tick won't help? Or are we standing up for that? But here's the, the, the crazy thing is, is what's happening through the church? Jesus is addressing not politicians, but religious leaders. What's happening within the church? The fact that 67% of evangelicals in the United States believe that same-sex marriage is okay. Now, I'm, we're going to address some of the stuff around sexuality. I think as the church, we have been way too judgmental, and we lack the empathy and the consolation of people who are struggling with that kind of stuff. And I think we, we, we can be a lot more empathic to, is that the word? Empathic to people who are struggling with those things. But at the same time, when somebody says to me, do I believe in same-sex marriage? I can't, no, the Bible says no. Don't try and do the gymnastics and make it okay. Oh, our culture's changed, and that was back then. We actually live in an age now that has changed, and we've, we've moved on, the, the good old chronological snobbery. No, the Bible says it's wrong. Now, if you are struggling with that, hey, let's, let's have a conversation. I would love to hear the, of the, the challenges that you face, and I would love to lead you into wholeness because part of that thing is, is there's a lie that's come in that says that's who you are, but that's not who God created you to be. Now, I know in that is a judgment call, but that's what the Bible says. And I know if you're looking for that good life and that, that, that fulfilled life, is Jesus is the truth that will set you free, not by willpower, and we'll get into those things throughout the series. I mean, how's this debate on um, this thing of uh, free speech and hate speech? Why, why do you think we are trying to legalize that now? Because people understand that when we start to talk about stuff, when we start to declare things, how do you think apartheid came into South Africa? Through the church. How? Genesis chapter 9. Ham, Noah's son, dark-skinned, laughs at his father while naked, gets banished, gets told that him and his descendants will always be servants and slaves to his brothers. The church takes that and then decides, oh, well, let's just say that. So all black people should be slaves to us, and we treat them like that. What? Deceptive idea, playing to our disordered desires that become normalized in society, and we have apartheid. Oh, my goodness. And the crazy thing is, is this, this, this um, war on um, uh, terrorism, you can't fight it with bombs. All you're going to do is fuel an ideology and an idea. How do we fight it? We fight it with truth. We fight it with Jesus. We fight it with the gospel, not with pouring bombs. And you think going to ISIS and killing their family and whatever else is really going to help. No, you can't kill an idea, an ideology with bombs and fire. But the crazy thing is, is people actually believe this. So it's not like they, they're doing this because of whatever. They're doing it because they honestly believe that that's what the Bible says, that actually a black woman or man is subservient and should always be their slave. And so let's do apartheid. Nazi Germany was the same thing. ISIS is the same thing. They honestly believe that what they are doing is moral and good and that they care for this world and therefore they're going to go in with a suicide vest and blow everybody else up in a certain area. See, without God, we define what's good and evil. We decide what's pleasing to the eye. We decide what that fulfilled good life looks like as opposed to saying, God, what are you saying? What is your understanding of this? 
Because all of this is rooted in sin and my mental maps of how that should look. And if I don't deal with my mental maps and deal with the lies that are there, I start to forge a life that becomes a reality that is so far from God that I miss out on what he has for me. And no longer can I live the abundant life, but I'm living something that is nowhere near it because I've believed this, this, this deceptive, toxic ideas that the enemy comes. And you know what's easy? Is I can look at Jill and I can go, oh, I can see, I can see those, what's happening. You know, she's believing that deceptive idea. But for myself, I miss it. We look at our society and we look at India and we go, oh, how can those guys do that? Are oh, they mad? They worshiping a wooden statue for goodness sake. So in our society, we think we're okay. But actually behind that is we need to remove the plank out of our own eye before asking someone else to remove the splinter out of there. Because what happens is we've got a redefinition of freedom. See, it's become freedom to rather than freedom from. You see, the, the old adage and what the Bible talks about is I'm free from my animalistic appetites to go and do what I want to do. These desires and impulses. As a guy, I would love to go and have sex with every beautiful woman in the world. Oh, Gary, you're the pastor. You can't say that. No, but there's, there's a natural inclination for that. Does it make it right? No, it doesn't because God told me and God made me for one woman and she's sitting here and she would kill me too. <clears throat> so yeah, sometimes fear does help. Slowly. slowly yeah. <laughs> no, freedom from is a self-control that God speaks of. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. The ability not to do what I want to do. This natural inclination to do these things. And we'll go into what our flesh talks about in weeks to come. Because that leads to the life of happiness. Not the freedom to do what you want. Be the person you want to be. Go with the flow. You know, be the, don't let anybody stop you doing I'm the captain of my own ship. You know, be the person that you want to be. That's the adage of our day. That's the worldview of our day. As long as it makes you happy, do it. How can you be so doff and still breathe? Why is the highest suicide rates amongst the transgender and, and, and gay communities? I'm asking that question. Why is it? Statistically, I'm not trying to say anything else other than if you believe a lie, it leads you down to death and sometimes even physical death. I'm getting passionate now. Be true to yourself, people. Do what you want to do. Don't let people judge me. Don't judge me. That's the latest thing. Don't judge me. No, the Bible judges you. And even though the Bible does say, do not judge others, otherwise you'll be judged by the same thing. Actually, further down in the text, it actually says, no, but discern all things and judge what is right and what is wrong according to my word. Are we doing that or are we just becoming these pathetic Christians? And honestly, I say that with, with the absolute... Um, let me not go there. But as Christians in South Africa, we stand back. We are so apathetic with what's going on around us. And we need to address things like this adoption thing. We need to address things like Netflix. I went onto Netflix last night and I canceled my subscription. They asked me why. I said, because you believe in abortion and killing. Yeah, but what happens if someone's raped? It's not for us to decide. You're killing a life. The fact that New York State allows the abortion of a baby up until it's born and doesn't call it a human being until it comes out of a woman's body. Oh my goodness. How far have we fallen? What about the redefinition of spirituality? Secular, secular, that word, secularism. It's actually not trying to come up against rebellion to God. It's actually to live a life without God, that God doesn't exist. Or what about this individualism? Me, myself, and I. 
I'll get on with myself. I will actually go and I will listen to Steve Furtick because he's an amazing preacher. And I will sit in my, 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 my house on a Sunday morning and I will just do church for myself because the church is a really bad place. People get hurt there. But then what about the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1? That the church is the, is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What about uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10? That the, it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will be shown to what? The principalities and powers, talking of Satan and his, demo, his demons. Uh, what about 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15? That the church is the foundation and pillar of truth. Oh, no, I'll just sit at home because I was hurt one day because that person said that to me. And so I'm not going to operate in the truth of what God has said that is through the church. And yes, it's not perfect, but it's actually through community that actually the church displays all of what God has called us to be that makes a difference in the communities around us. No, I'm the captain of my own ship. Don't tell me what to do. And then we redefine sexuality, parenting, family, and in a very short space of time, look at where our world is today on those things. You cannot watch a program on TV that now doesn't not have a homosexual or gay moment, but is now having transgender moments. We're watching that new program, Amsterdam. And there's a teenage boy wanting to go through a sex change. And it's 100%. This is the way it goes. Because you can decide what, what, what sex you are. That God's made a mistake. And I, like, like I say, we as the church, we need to be way more understanding of what these people face. And way more accommodating in leading them into the truth. And not sit there and throw stones at them. But actually love on them. Because how are we to be known? Because of our love for one another. See, Dallas Willard says, ideas are the primary strongholds of evil in the human self and in society. Ideology, ideological tyranny is way bigger threat than political tyranny. In fact, the latter flows from the former. And Winston Churchill, after the Second World War, how's that? The empires of our future will be empires of the mind. How do you think warfare has been done now? It's all propaganda. We actually don't even know what the truth is at the moment. You go read up. You know, Donald Trump um, has, has been um, statistically told over 2,000 lies in his first year in office. Factually lied 2,000 times in the media. How many, how many times is that a day? We're going to speak about that next week. The, the point is, this is why Jesus came as a teacher and not as a warrior. That's why many of us miss him, because we want to see him as this warrior king, and we think this warrior king is the one who's got the sword, but actually what he does is he calls us to be his disciples, his apprentices. He doesn't come and say, bring a sword. Jesus was a pacifist, but he came to tell the truth. And when, he, when the truth comes, and the truth was not just making a statement about himself, but actually, like I said, that the, the, the truth and life are coexist. And if we don't follow in the truth who Jesus says is, and he is the way, the truth, and life, he is the epitome of the truth, he brings about the truth, then that, 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 that holy grail of the, of the good life will never be attained unless we go through Jesus. Pontius Pilate says the following to him. He says, uh, you know, well, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would pick up arms, and they would come and they would save me. He says, you're a king then, Pilate says. Jesus answers him, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world was what? To testify about the truth. So can you see Jesus comes as this mighty warrior to dismantle the deception and lies of the enemy? Not with a sword, not with a bomb, not with anything like that, but the truth of who he is. 
everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pontius Pilate says, oh, what is truth? Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you go, oh, what is truth? Veritas was the word, if you've watched the Passion. And then what happens is, is the people call for the release of Barabbas. Everything that our world system dominates, murderer, rebellion, slanderer, what are you releasing in, in your life daily? Are you calling for the release of Jesus? Or are you, the truth? Or are you living out the life of Barabbas? Because the call happened 2,000 years ago and still happens in our lives. See, Jesus redefines what a warrior is. He redefines what the war is. It's not about picking up arms. It's about speaking truth. It's about dismantling the lies in our lives and the lies in other people's lives. Because the real enemy to our souls is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not Jacob Zuma. Not Donald Trump. Not ISIS. Not Nazi Germany. Not apartheid. There's an evil behind that. That speaks into all of those things. That's why Paul said, this is not against, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And it's through the church that that gets dismantled. Do we have the courage to live out a life of self-sacrificial love like Jesus did, to serve one another so that the life of God comes into our context, into our lives, into the lives of one another? Because that's what Jesus is calling us to. Paul says in 2 Timothy, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken captive, who has taken them captive to do his will. There's only one way. There's only one truth above all truths. His name is Jesus. And he's giving us an invitation to find out what the truth is that dominates our world, that dominates our flesh, and comes through deceptive ideas, through lies, that the truth can trump that. Excuse the pun. Because he's the one who sets us free. The screw tape letters at the beginning says there are two equal and opposite errors unto which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe in an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both these errors and hell with materialistic or magicians with the same delight. Who watched Unusual Suspects? Kevin Spacey. What was the end comment? The greatest trick that the devil ever played was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. See, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against a creature who comes with deceptive ideas. Before we have to look at exorcisms and healings and disasters and all of those things, our war, first and foremost, is a war against truth and lies. You know, lies don't have power until we start to believe them and walk them out. When we start to walk truth out, our soul flourishes. When we start to walk out lies, we die inside slowly. So again, I'm saying, we may have a culture in our world today that says certain things, and we need to stop for a moment. And so what I've asked the life group leaders to do, 
And what I'd like each one of you, if you're not in a life group, to do this particular thing. I would love you. See, we do spiritual disciplines. You know, you, you journal. You have times of silence and solitude. You pray. You um, do lecture divinia. You, there's so many, so many different aspects of spiritual practices that we can do. The different types of prayer, breath prayers. All of those things are all good. But if you're not linking it into your life and making it understand why we're doing this, so, why not, as a life group and always an individual, stop for a moment this week and spend some time, 10, 15 minutes, and ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you the lies you believe about yourself. Write them down. Then say, Father God, won't you reveal to me the truth about the lie that I believe? Because I know there's people here that believe that they are no good to anybody. I believe the people here that don't believe that they have what it takes and yet God said, he has prepared good works in advance for you to do. Now go and walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So maybe today, but sometime during this week, when you just go before God, if you're in your group, what are, what are the lies that I believe? And then ask the question, what are the lies that have been normalized in my own life? We're going to touch on some of those things which are going to be sore. What are we allowing into the gates of our heart? What are we watching on TV that has just become normalized? We will watch adults having sex on our living room floor. And our kids will be there as well. We've normalized that. It's okay. And they're not even married. How, what are those things? If we stop for a moment and we say, Holy Spirit, just reveal to me what I believe, especially in the context where you might be feeling whatever you're feeling. What is the lie that I believe? Because I know Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you're struggling with that, and maybe you need help. That's why we've got freedom sessions. That's exactly what freedom sessions are for. It's not to counsel you. It's not to give you anything. And in these moments, don't start to counsel people. We're not asking you to give them ideas and opinions about what you think about what they're thinking about. That's why freedom sessions have been so powerful in our community. Because you get people that are skilled, like Louise and, and Kerry and others, that lead you to a place of, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Jesus, where were you in that trauma? And, and Holy Spirit starts to reveal these things, and you realize God never left you or forsook you. That he was right there. And actually, that thing would have been way worse if he wasn't there. But we have a deceptive enemy who wants to believe that God is bad, wants you to believe that God is bad. But whatever you do, if you can leave out this morning, God good, devil bad. 